The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. So we'll go through what's happening kind of on the national and international front with the pandemic. Uh, the federal government you've been hearing today has provided updated modeling numbers for where Canada's COVID cases could next be headed. It takes into account the growing number of outbreaks in vulnerable settings like long-term care homes and shelters. Here's Global's Brianna Carnegie. Canada could reach about 53 to 67,000 COVID-19 cases with Within the next week. For reference, that's about four to 18,000 more cases from the current count. Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Teresa Tam revealed the updated modeling over the lunch hour. Last time I presented this graph to you, Canada's confirmed case count was doubling every three to five days. At this time, the number of cases is doubling at a rate of every 16 days. Tam says models released earlier this month underpredicted the number of deaths. By this time next week, Canada could see anywhere from 530 to over 1,100 additional deaths for a total count of mid to high 3,000. Brianna Carnegie, Global News. All right, so right now in Canada, the number of confirmed and presumptive cases sits at uh, about 49,000, including 2,766 deaths. As you heard by this time next week, the new COVID numbers um, suggest a lot more people could be um, dead from the virus. So Dr. Tam was asked, what will it take for the pandemic to end? In order for the epidemic to die out, we need to get to the point where each infected individual is only transmitting the virus to less than one other person. Prior to implementing public health control measures in March, we estimated that each infected person passed the virus onto an average of just over two additional people. Today, stronger controls, including physical distancing, increased testing to identify and isolate cases, and trace and quarantine contacts are helping to reduce the average number of people each case infects to just above one. So Dr. Tam says so far 740,000 tests have been carried out with about 20,000 people getting tested daily. 7% have tested positive. She also broke down what we know about the age and gender of Canadian COVID patients. Adults aged 60 years and older account for 95% of deaths. While only 45% of reported cases are male, Males are more likely to be admitted to the hospital and the ICU. Almost three quarters of cases with information available reported one or more pre-existing health conditions. However, no one is immune to severe outcomes of COVID-19. Dr. Tam says we are making progress in slowing the spread thanks to the hard work of everyone who continues to follow the rules and regulations that have been put in place. But she had this reminder. We are making clear progress to slow the spread and bring the epidemic under control thanks to the commitment of Canadians who are following public health advice to protect themselves and others. The epidemiology of COVID-19 is not the same in all parts of the country, so when and how control measures are readjusted and or relaxed will need to be decided based on the local epidemiologic situation. It is critically important that we maintain our public health measures, including physical distancing, until we have achieved epidemic control for the first wave. Relaxing controls too quickly will squander our collective efforts to date and put us at risk of future epidemic waves. Thank you. So the-
The PM uh, reiterated what Dr. Tam says, and he went on to say that the pandemic remains one of the most serious public health emergencies in history, and until it's better under control, restrictions need to remain in place. So in the U.S., they've topped a million cases, almost 12,000 new cases in the last 24 hours, and more than 1,000 new deaths for a total of about 58,000. You heard the numbers about uh, Canada just a couple of minutes ago. In Alberta, as of yesterday, we have 4,690 cases and 75 deaths. More than 3,000 cases are in the Calgary zone, 484 in the Edmonton zone. Just looking over here, all right, the news conference is underway. Um, The daily COVID-19 news conference uh, looks like we're starting this afternoon with Premier Kenny. Good afternoon. I'm here uh, to provide some updated information about uh, the Alberta response to COVID-19. But before doing that, I'd like to say a few words about the ice jams and floods in northern Alberta. Uh, Yesterday, I joined Minister of Environment Jason Nixon, and we flew up to Fort McMurray to get eyes on uh, the flooding situation. Um, It really is just uh, terrible, devastating to see uh, much of the central Fort McMurray flooded. Uh, just four years after uh, the terrible fires of 2016. Uh, To imagine people who have just rebuilt their homes now struggling with those homes being flooded uh, and uh, the adversity of that community after four years of economic trials is just heartbreaking. Uh, So our heart goes out to all of the people of Fort McMurray and Wood Buffalo affected as well as others in northern Alberta, including uh, the evacuees from, from Fort Uh, Vermilion in northwestern Alberta who have also been affected uh, by the jams. Uh, Minister uh, Nixon and the executive director of the Alberta Emergency Management Agency uh, provided an update uh, to the public and to the media a couple of hours ago, so I won't go into too much detail except to say uh, that we understand there are now 13,000 evacuees who are out of Fort McMurray who have registered and that most of the hotel capacity uh, in Fort Fort McMurray has now been full filled. Uh, some are now, some folks are coming further south to find hotel space, and their costs, of course, are being covered initially by the municipality. Uh, but I've confirmed with uh, Mayor Don Scott that uh, the criteria for the disaster recovery program um, have been triggered. We have not yet formally uh, processed that as a provincial government, but we will be uh, ensuring provincial financial support for the municip- regional municipality. Of Wood Buffalo uh, crisis response um, with the declaration of a state of local emergency two days ago. Um, This morning I joined Minister Nixon and uh, Minister Madhu, who's responsible for the emergency management agency uh, at the Provincial Operations Centre of the Emergency Management Agency, and we uh, got a briefing early this morning on the situation throughout northern Alberta. There are um, eight communities, I understand, with states of local emergency. Uh, Again, the two primary ones being Fort McMurray and Fort Vermilion, from which there have been 450 uh, evacuees. I also spoke on the phone again with uh, Mayor Scott of Fort McMurray earlier uh, today. 
to once again confirm that the provincial government stands ready to provide any necessary assistance. Uh, we have deployed uh, to Fort McMurray from our emergency stocks additional uh, sandbags as well as uh, uh, dam equipment and uh, pumps and uh, additional personnel. Um, the Emergency Management Committee of Cabinet will be meeting uh, later this evening uh, to consider other potential action. Uh, and I also spoke to the Reeve of Mackenzie County uh, to Josh Knelson and his emergency management team on the situation in Fort uh, Vermilion from which some 450 people have been evacuated. So our hearts, hearts go out to all of those who've been affected. We know that this dislocation is difficult at the best of times, but for many people they, I imagine, are reliving the, the trauma of the fires of uh, four years ago. And many already had either lost employment because of the uh, economic uh, challenges of the past four years, as well as the crash in oil prices, as well as the coronavirus pandemic. And just when you, you think it, it can't get more challenging, it seems to, uh, for some of our fellow Albertans. And so uh, we just want them to know that the, the government and people of Alberta stand with them at this time. Um, we are, here's some good news, we are hopeful that with warm weather uh, throughout the north, we will see the ice jams uh, begin to melt today uh, and that they should dislodge, uh, begin dislodging over the course of the next 72 hours and and uh, also the water levels did stabilize last night so there does not appear to be any additional flooding so the current prognosis is that the jams will clear uh, and that uh, the, the, the flooding will recede out of Fort McMurray and out of Fort Vermilion uh, and then of course there will be a, a great deal of recovery work and that is why I, once again I'm, I'm affirming provincial support through the disaster recovery process program. And with that, uh, allow me to, to turn then to today's uh, COVID-19 update, and then I'm going to get to uh, an update on the provincial government's modeling uh, of the future impact of COVID. Uh, so uh, for today, based on uh, 3,239 new test results over the last 24 hours, the number of confirmed infections has increased by 154 to a total of 4,850. There have also been five more deaths, bringing the total uh, to 80 fatalities as a result of the novel coronavirus. And uh, once again, uh, we, we share condolences with uh, the loved ones uh, and the friends of, of all of those uh, whose lives have been lost uh, over the past several weeks from uh, the pandemic. I'm pleased to say the number of recovered cases in Alberta has reached 1,800, the majority of whom have recovered at home. Uh, we know the virus is not affecting all parts of the province at, in the same way. Uh, there are higher cases in Calgary and south of zone, as we know, compared to Edmonton and the rest of Alberta. And we want to be clear about what we're, where we're seeing hot spots and where we are not. In Calgary, we are seeing uh, 3,366 cases compared to Edmonton with 486 cases and the rest of Alberta at uh, 971 with 27 unknown. Of course, most of those 971 are in the south zone and that is primarily because of the recent outbreak um, uh, involving uh, High River. These regional differences are due to many factors, but it is something that we need to keep in mind as we consider our options for relaunch.
Today, 82 Albertans are being treated in hospital for COVID-19, and of those, 21 are in intensive care units. Uh, so small increases over the past few days, uh, but still relatively stable. The number of hospitalizations and uh, ICU admissions remain well below uh, the levels that were modeled in the original AHS modeling of three weeks ago. So it is encouraging to know that we're still doing a very good job of containing and managing the outbreak. As of today, 100 and nearly 132,000 people have been tested for COVID-19, averaging uh, 2,300 per day since the 4th of March, and in the last week, more like uh, 3,300. Before we move to today's update on modeling, I'd like to point out to to the wide range of available interactive aggregate data on COVID-19 cases that we have now made available at the alberta.ca website. COVID-19stats.alberta.ca, that's COVID-19stats at alberta.alberta.ca, uh, was set up to provide daily updates on a variety of st uh, statistics using dashboards, graphs and tables. So uh, if you'd like more information, more detailed information, uh, please visit that website. Uh, and uh, it's, I think, better presented than it has been in the past. I'm pleased now to say that our updated COVID-19 data and modeling shows that our efforts to reduce the peak of the virus are working. The number of Albertans hospitalized and admitted to intensive care is well below what modeling originally projected. Uh, while this is good news, we must, of course, remain vigilant. The healthcare system continues to be able, uh, very capably, to manage the impact of COVID-19. Albertans are doing their part by following public health orders, practicing physical distancing and good hygiene, and staying home when possible. While we are a ways off from returning to our normal way of life, we are working uh, as a government around the clock on our phased approach to relaunch, which I began, the, some of the principles of which I began articulating in the te television address three weeks ago today. Health measures we will be watching include the following, the number of hospitalizations, the number of intensive care admissions, the rate of growth of COVID-19 cases, including confirmed cases as a percentage of testing, uh, and others. Now, the updated modeling uses the most current Alberta data. The updated probable scenario now estimates 596 people will require hospitalization when the virus reaches its peak. This is a reduction from the previous planning scenario, which suggested 818. The new elevated scenario now estimates 745 people will require hospitalization from the virus when it reaches its peak. This is a reduction from the previous planning scenario, uh, which, is, uh, which suggested at the time 1,570 cases. We have also created a new low scenario because when... Um, we were, when we were looking at the uh, actual performance in Alberta versus the probable and elevated models, uh, I challenged our um, team that's working on the modeling uh, to come up with a, uh, a model that was closer to what we were actually experiencing here, uh, rather than simply being based on, on assumptions that we are largely drawing from other jurisdictions. And, and uh, so that work has been done, and you can see the white line on the bottom of the uh, 
graph, which is the new low scenario. And again, the predicate there is not uh, assumptions from other jurisdictions or so much as the, uh, the epidemiological literature as the actual experience that we have uh, seen in Alberta to date. This new projection takes into account Alberta's overall low hospitalization rate, which continues to be encouraging. If trends continue as they are, this new low scenario uh, could become the most likely scenario for Alberta, and let's hope that's the case. This likely new scenario suggests uh, nearly 300 people will require hospitalization when the virus reaches its peak. Why are we seeing lower hospitalization rates in Alberta than elsewhere? Well, we have the youngest uh, population in the country and we have the best testing program, which means many more Albertans are being tested than other jurisdictions. This high rate of testing means we have a higher proportion of confirmed cases with relatively weak symptoms that do not require acute or critical care in hospital. Uh, additionally, younger populations uh, often do not experience symptoms that are as severe as older people and therefore do not, are not as likely to require hospitalization. The likely new low scenario is the updated, in the updated modeling also reflects this. The new probable and elevated scenarios anticipate that 9% of COVID-19 cases will require hospitalization. This estimate drops to 4.5% under the new likely low scenario. The updated probable scenario now estimates 190 people will require a critical care in ICUs when the virus reaches its peak. This is a reduction from the original modeling which suggested 232. The updated elevated scenario now uh, estimates 248 people will require critical care when the virus reaches its peak. This is a reduction from the original model which suggested uh, nearly 400. The new low scenario suggests additional uh, 95 uh, people will require critical care uh, when the virus reaches its peak. And the updated probable and elevated scenarios anticipate that 2% of COVID-19 cases will require hospitalization. This estimate drops to 1% under the new low scenario. So overall, you can see that based on the real experience we have seen here, uh, the modelers at AHS at, at Alberta Health are, are bringing their models down and we have um, a, a new low track, which is much closer to what we've actually been experiencing. Uh, Alberta Health will continue to refine its modeling in order to ensure that our healthcare system is prepared. We're not yet at the point of returning to our normal way of life, but I want to stress that Alberta's government is working around the clock on a phased approach uh, to relaunch our economy. We'll be outlining that relaunch strategy later this week. Uh, for relaunch to be successful, it's essential that Albertans stay vigilant keep each other safe, and continue to listen to the advice of public health officials. And there is light ahead. In fact, the data and modeling I've outlined here today has lowered what had been the worst case scenario uh, for economic impact. 
But as I said, when we in, launched, uh, released the original modeling, they did not constitute a, a our fate, but rather a challenge. And Albertans have been rising to that challenge. Of course, we are concerned about some recent outbreaks, but overall, the trends, especially in terms of hospitalization, continue to be encouraging. And uh, so with that, I will invite Dr. Hinshaw to provide her daily update. Thank you, Premier, and good afternoon. I will keep my remarks relatively brief today, as I know many of you have questions about the information that was just shared. I want to start by acknowledging the flooding in northern Alberta and all those communities where emergency response is taking place, including evacuations. We are working with the Provincial Operations Centre to ensure that risks of COVID-19 transmission are mitigated as communities work to respond to the impacts of flooding. As the Premier noted, we have confirmed an additional 154 cases over the last 24 hours, bringing the total number of cases in Alberta to 4,850. Since my last update, we have also confirmed five additional deaths, meaning that there have now been 80 deaths in our province. These include two new deaths at continuing care facilities, one in Calgary Zone and one in South Zone. I want to offer my heartfelt sympathies to everyone mourning the loss of these individuals. Again, these are reminders that COVID-19 can be deadly and none of us are immune. As of today, there have been 483 cases in continuing care facilities across Alberta, which includes 52 deaths. As of today, there have been 759 cases confirmed among workers at the Cargill Meatpacking Plant. There have also been 249 cases confirmed among employees and contractors at the JBS plant in Brooks. These outbreaks show the remarkable ability of the virus to spread quickly. That is why we are doing everything possible to identify and manage every outbreak, including those in High River and Brooks. Alberta Health Services has rapid response teams in place and has worked aggressively to ensure operators have implemented outbreak protocols and to make sure that cases are identified and supported so they can be isolated and ensure that cases get any health care that they need. AHS has made sure that contacts are identified in order to contain spread and has also made testing widely available, including to those without symptoms in outbreak settings. Alberta Health Services has also been working very hard on providing temporary housing for isolation and any other needed supports for those who are at risk. We are also using these measures in other settings where there may be high risk of spread. This includes any meat processing facility where even one case is identified and adapted versions of these measures in the current shelter outbreaks in Calgary. As the Chief Medical Officer of Health, I want to stress that the modeling forecast shared today is good news. Alberta is starting to see the results of the collective sacrifices we have made, but I want to stress that this fight is far from over. Modeling is just a projection of a potential future. It is not a guarantee, and cases could easily spike in Alberta if we are not careful. I know that many Albertans are tired of the public health restrictions. Many of you were tired of hearing me say we are all in this together. Every single Albertan has been making sacrifices for many weeks and every Albertan has been impacted by this pandemic. You have been making sacrifices every day to make sure that your loved ones, neighbours, co-workers and fellow citizens are safe. Today I am asking you to celebrate the success we have had 
by holding on just a little while longer. Our public health measures are working and we need to keep them working. Thank you and we're happy to take questions. Okay, thank you. Uh, operator, can you please put through the first caller? Our first question comes from James Keller of the Globe and Mail. Your line is open. Hi, this is a message for Dr. Hinshaw. Um, the city of Lloydminster says it's uh, aligning its business restrictions with Saskatchewan, which, as you know, will allow some retail and personal service businesses to open May 19th. Um, will businesses and uh, even medical providers such as dentists in Lloydminster, uh, better on the Alberta side, be permitted to open according to Saskatchewan's dates, even if the rules in Alberta say they should be closed? And sort of broader than that, you could also just talk a bit about the challenges in managing the pandemic in a community that straddles two uh, jurisdictions. Sure. So uh, what I would say is that the requirements for the people who operate businesses in Lloydminster um, in terms of the legal requirements uh, would probably be best answered by someone with an in-depth knowledge of the legal framework that governs that particular city, which is unique because of its nature crossing the border between Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, so I think that would be something that we'll have to respond to you after we've uh, gotten some, some legal advice on that particular front. Uh, with respect to the challenges of a border city, then, you know, clearly that's a case where there are many people who, um, Lloydminster is the city where they get their services, their goods uh, in the surrounding communities, both on the Alberta and Saskatchewan sides. And so I think that we, uh, that's just a, a case in point example of the need that we have to coordinate between Alberta and our neighboring provinces as we consider what restrictions are eased and what the timing of that will be. Uh, and so we have been and uh, with respect to my counterparts and I, we have been speaking um, in detail about the kinds of things that each of us are thinking about doing and uh, wanting to make sure that we're communicating as restrictions ease in our neighboring provinces. Uh, so I think it's it's an ongoing work in progress and we just have to make sure that our communication is, is good both to our citizens and also with each other. And I don't know if, yeah, I was gonna ask if Premier wants to add. Sure, I will add by saying two things. First of all, uh, as you will see, our Alberta relaunch strategy will likely be uh, fairly similar to that of Saskatchewan, not identical in every respect, uh, but um, I suspect there won't be significant gaps between uh, the Alberta and Saskatchewan approach, uh, and so that should uh, make things a little bit simpler for Lloyd Minster. But secondly, uh, I intend to speak with both of our neighbours, uh, Premier Moe and Premier Horgan, about... Uh, uh, not just sharing information, but potentially some form of, of coordinated action where it makes sense uh, because our economies are so closely integrated. You know, for example, in the Peace River country of uh, northeastern BC is very economically integrated with the Peace River country in northwestern Alberta, a lot of cross-border traffic and, and commerce. So in cases like that, we, we want to see if we can have some level of, of coordination as we move forward towards uh, relaunching in in all three provinces. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? The next question comes from Rick Bell of the Calgary Sun. Your line is open. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Premier and Dr. Hinshaw. Um, this is a question for the Premier. Um, what do you say to those people, and I think they're probably a, a fairly significant number who will see the modeling from today and they'll run with it. They'll, they, they will use this as uh, evidence 
for a, a greater push or a harder push to get the economy back up and running and back open and, and their lives more open than they are now. Um, so what do you say to those people who will look at this and say, wow, this is, this is fantastic news. Let's, let's get going. Let's get open. Let's, let's, uh, let's push things through. Well, I would say to them that uh, they are right to take some hope from the performance of Alberta to date, where we have significantly gone below uh, our original models and well below the maximum capacity of our healthcare system. If uh, flattening the curve meant reducing the actual peak of hospitalizations below the maximum capacity of the healthcare system, well, so far we've achieved that. So I would say that is very solid news and I would say uh, thank you to all Albertans for playing a role in that success to date. Uh, I would also say to them that uh, uh, hope is coming because in, in uh, this later this week we will begin announcing measures uh, to, to gradually prudently move towards more activity, more economic and social activity. Um, it has to be done in a measured way. Uh, to quote Premier Mo, it's, it's going to be mo more like a dimmer switch than an on-off switch. And we will take gradual steps to move towards more activity, more social and economic activity. So people can expect to see that. And we'll have some, I, I'm hoping some positive announcements to come uh, very soon in that, in that regard, Rick. Um, but finally, I would say that uh, we, we should learn the lesson of, of the last couple of weeks where we've seen some significant outbreaks, most, most uh, obviously uh, around High River and, and some parts of Calgary associated with, with Cargill. Um, we can see how all of a sudden uh, an, an outbreak can occur. And that's why uh, vigilance will continue to be needed. Um, I hope that more and more that vigilance can be done by people through their own voluntary choices and less and less by stringent government restrictions. Um, if anything, hopefully over the past few weeks, we become a bit, we develop some better habits, better habits in terms of hygiene and distancing and all of that. And so hope, the, whole, the hope we have is as we begin uh, the gradual relaunch that, that people will just exercise uh, more common sense and, uh, and we can avoid uh, outbreaks and continue uh, to continue to move towards, uh, back towards eventually uh, something like normal. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Our next question comes from Julia Wong of Global News. Your line is open. Hi, this question is for Dr. Hingshaw. Uh, the CDC has added new symptoms to its list, including chills, loss of taste or smell, and headache. Is the province looking to expand its list of symptoms for Albertans who are looking to get tested? And if not, what's the rationale behind that? So uh, just yesterday, actually, we had that conversation on a call with my colleagues across the country, and we were discussing... Uh, the approaches that different provinces have taken toward testing eligibility. Uh, and so what I'm looking at now is the list of all expanded symptoms that other provinces across the country have included. Uh, and we'll be looking as well at that CDC expanded list. And we'll be taking that back to consider whether or not we should expand our list. So it's absolutely under consideration. Uh, and again, wanting to make sure that we're uh, aligning with best evidence and aligning with what's be happening in other jurisdictions. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Our next question comes from Lisa Corbella of Post Media. Your line is open. Thank you. 
Good afternoon. Both of my questions are for um, Dina Henshaw, Dr. Henshaw. Um, first of all, I'm looking at the quick fact for the COVID-19 modeling data update, and it says that the model uses several key assumptions, including um, that there is no asymptomatic transmission. Um, I guess I'm wondering why that's the case, because I think we do know now, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that there is asymptomatic transmission. And then the other question I have has to do with um, the Cargill plant and um, or the infections at Cargill and JBS. And I, I guess the question is, is, we were implementing social distancing. You know, kids couldn't play on the swing set, um, but we knew that these people were working elbow to elbow. And I'm wondering who's, re who's responsible for ensuring that in light of the fact that they're essential workers and they, they couldn't um, social distance necessarily, who's responsible for having seen that they had the appropriate PPE and appropriate work conditions to ensure that this outbreak wouldn't occur? So the, the first question with respect to the assumptions, uh, when we built our first model several weeks ago, we based it on the evidence at that time. And so what happened with respect to that early model was it was based on that um, foundational assumption of no asymptomatic transmission. Since that time, we have seen emerging evidence and it's clear now that uh, asymptomatic transmission does contribute to some part of spread. Uh, it remains unclear what proportion of our spread is linked to asymptomatic symptomatic transmission and so with this current modeling update recognizing that it is a limitation of the current model uh, because the interest was in um, getting kind of an approximately correct model uh, we wanted to adjust some of those key parameters such as the percentage of cases that needed hospitalization or ICU and assumptions around the proportion or I should say that the number of additional infections that result from each new case uh, and so the, the complexity of adjusting the model to also include asymptomatic transmission as a driver uh, would have delayed our ability to share that model. And so recognizing that as with any models, they're uh, based on assumptions, not all of which are 100% accurate. And also knowing that we, we don't currently know with certainty what proportion of cases are driven by asymptomatic transmission. Uh, the decision was made for simplicity's sake to again use this as a, an approximation and to keep it consistent with the past model but of course um, that as you say that assumption uh, is something that in future models should we have more time uh, we would be able to see what emerging evidence there is that could help inform a more complex model that would take that into account with respect to the questions about the responsibility for um, essential workplaces that did remain open. Uh, so when the order was written, when my order was written to require non-essential businesses to close, uh, the order specified that any essential workplace that did remain open was responsible for ensuring that their uh, employees and should they have customers in the work site, uh, that those businesses were responsible for taking measures to prevent spread in the workplace. And we published at that time a non-healthcare setting 
workplace guidance document to outline what those uh, requirements would be, what kinds of measures could be used to prevent spread within workplaces. And so the expectation at that time was that businesses who remained open uh, would be looking at that guidance and adapting it to use within their specific setting and facility, understanding that we have many essential workplaces that have remained open across the province. So that was, um, that was the expect expectation at that time was that each business would have that responsibility. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Our next question comes from Dean Bennett of the Canadian Press. Your line is open. Oh, thanks very much. This question is for the Premier. Uh, Premier, you said that later this week we'll get some more details about uh, the relaunch. Of course, the big question is when will uh, you allow some of this, uh, when will you allow the restrictions to start being lifted? Uh, you said it'd be a little bit like Saskatchewan. Does. Will your announcement this week have an actual relaunch date or um, and if so maybe you could uh... yeah there will be some dates Dean some of this uh, we're going to have to um, uh, make final decisions as we get closer to them uh, based on how well we do hopefully we've we've uh, contained uh, recent outbreaks we're gonna have to monitor those very closely monitor the other key points of data uh, but I do hope that we will be be able to uh, begin reopening uh, aspects of uh, social and economic life that that have currently been suspended uh, in the month uh, of May and um, when we first presented the models three weeks ago it, with a very uh, steep uh, peak in uh, in late May, it looked like we might not be able uh, to begin reopening things until the month of June. Uh, I think it looks much uh, more optimistic that we can begin doing so uh, in some respects in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have not yet taken final decisions, just wait for our announcement. But um, uh, and, and one thing I do want to point out actually, Dean, is this. Uh, I know Albertans are watching with interest as they see Saskatchewan's announcement last week, I think Quebec's announcement yesterday. Um, Actually, Alberta has um, kept more things open and active than I believe any other province. You know, for example, Quebec shut down all of their manufacturing and all of their construction industries. We've kept them open uh, in Alberta. Um, other provinces have gone to a maximum of two people gathering in some, in many cases. Uh, we allow 15 people to gather. So. Uh, we have taken more of what I would call a risk-based approach uh, and a less proscriptive approach than other provinces. So what Quebec's doing now in some ways is in their, in their first phase or two of their reopening is actually just catching up to where Alberta already is. So I know that's no comfort to people whose livelihoods have been so deeply affected. I'm not diminishing that for a moment. Our, our estimate from uh, the Department of Economic Development is that uh, the public health orders uh, which we uh, uh, related to COVID-19 have impacted about 4% um, uh, of provincial GDP and about 14 percent of the workforce I haven't we're still working on final numbers there but that is to say that the vast majority of the Alberta workforce and the Alberta economy were not shut down as a result of the public health orders there were other things that happened obviously I mean even before 
uh, our public health order suspending non-essential retail. I remember about a week before that taking a, a walk down uh, White Avenue and seeing virtually on a Saturday virtually every store and restaurant closed. So a lot of that was already happening voluntarily. Um, and uh, I, I just wanted to emphasize the point that that the uh, the actual impact of the public health orders have been perhaps a bit narrower than, than a lot of us uh, 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 perceive. Uh, in a, and that other provinces went, went uh, further than Alberta. So so um, I do hope that we can begin uh, significant steps towards a relaunch uh, in uh, the next weeks and in the month of May. And with that, I've got to run to another meeting, and I'm sure Dr. Hinshaw can take other questions. Thank you. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Our next question comes from Michael King of Global News. Your line is open. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. What we heard earlier on is that a successful fight against COVID-19 would not only push the curve down, but also push the peak further down the road. Um, has the expected kind of late May peak changed? So that's a great question, and I think uh, we've actually been having some discussions about the concept of peak because one of the challenges of the models, and I referenced this in, in some remarks I made last week, is that the models give a sense that we will go up and come down and there will be an end to this within several months. And that's just a function of the mathematical equations that are used to build the uh, transmission dynamics within that model. But I think what we're seeing now the reality is that we have managed to slow spread and so we are seeing a, a kind of slow uh, there has been a, a rise in the last um, week or so with respect to new cases hospitalizations uh, but in general overall since we have had our cases we haven't seen a, a sharp increase and so what I want to make sure people understand is that as we flatten that uh, you know so-called peak what we're doing is we're pushing out the duration of of how we're spreading this infection out over time. And so hopefully what we do is we keep our, our cases, our, our spread at a relatively low rate. Uh, our health system is able to maintain capacity to deal with those who have more severe illness. We're able to keep the, the uh, virus out of our most vulnerable populations like those in continuing care facilities. Uh, but I think we should not imagine that the end of any kind of a, a peak or curve will be happening within say two to three months because the reality is that this virus will be with us and it will remain uh, a threat as long as we have no effective treatments or vaccines against it and so as we look to the future uh, we need to think about again it's maybe less of a of a peak now and more of a kind of steady state that we maintain at that low rate is likely to be that future so so yes we We've, we've pushed that peak out, but hopefully it won't be actually a peak. Hopefully it will just be um, that low steady state where we're able to maintain our ability to manage uh, and keep the transmission rate relatively low. Okay, we have time for two more. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Our next question comes from Carrie Tate of the Globe and Mail. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Dr. Hinshaw, I'm wondering when were you first aware of a positive case tied to Cargill, a positive case tied to JBS, and at any time did you recommend these plants or other facilities be closed? So I would have to get the exact dates for you about the exact date that I was first aware of cases at Cargill or at JBS. Um, I don't have those off the top of my head, uh, but it was several 
weeks ago with respect to Cargill, I would say. Again, I can get those exact dates for you. Um, and again, with JBS, it would have been you know, relatively soon after the, the local medical officers of health identified a concern about cases in those facilities, they would have contacted me uh, very quickly just to, to make me aware of the situation and to let me know what they were doing. And with respect to my recommendations, so I have worked very closely with the local medical officers of health in both of those sites. And what I've heard from the local teams in their analysis and investigations to date is that in both of those sites uh, there are very complex factors and that these outbreaks involve not just a single site but they involve a group of people um, who work at the site uh, but also the people with whom they share housing, the people with whom they share uh, carpooling um, and that when I've been speaking with those local medical officers of health, the recommendation that I've received has been that we see these outbreaks as a whole uh, community issue that's not linked to one particular work site. And so that's the approach that I've supported um, with respect to making sure that the work site is safe and also that we're putting uh, pieces of, um, or I should say putting interventions in place at all of those points where transmission could happen. Uh, and so again, that's that's been the discussions that I've had with the local teams who've been working on these outbreaks. And I, I really want to stress that the more that we do to support people in all aspects of their lives, the more success we're going to have at controlling the outbreak. If we look at only one facet of their lives, it will be very difficult to end transmission. Okay, we have time for one more. Operator, could you please put through the last caller? Our final question comes from Kevin Nimick of CTV. Your line is open. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Yesterday you said you were not aware of the problems at Millrise Seniors Village. Uh, since then, have you been briefed? Uh, what has changed at that facility now since the province took over? And is the province investigating, investigating any complaints against the facility? So my understanding uh, since the question yesterday is that issues have been identified at that location uh, and that orders have been given to that location in order to require uh, that measures be put in place to prevent spread of disease and to make sure that resident care is adequate. Um, with respect to the, the next steps, again, I, I understand that that facility is is being monitored, that support is being offered to make sure they have adequate staffing levels and that um, if they are not able to bring up care within the required time frame, uh, that options would be looked at to make sure that the residents get the care that they need. And I'm sorry, was there a part of your question that I missed? I was just going to ask if uh, the province is investigating any complaints against the facility. I don't think you got that part. Okay, thank you. Um, so the investigation that I'm aware of is an investigation by Alberta Health Services based on concerns that were raised. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any other outstanding investigations. I'm not sure. Uh, so I think that's the, that's the extent of my information is that complaints were received. Alberta Health Services has investigated, has issued an order, um, and there are requirements for how quickly that will be complied with. And again, they are supporting the facility with staffing in the short term to make sure that residents get the care that they need. All right, thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow with another update. 
All right, you've been listening to the daily update uh, on the COVID-19 situation in the province of Alberta. Uh, Premier Jason Kenney was there along with Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Uh, the Premier outlining some new modelling numbers and saying that um, our efforts are working as hospitalization numbers remain well below the forecast models. Um, as far as the new numbers for today, 154 new cases, a total of 4,850. Of those, 3,336 are in the Calgary zone. Now, I can tell you that we've had five new deaths. Two of them in long-term care facilities, one in the Calgary Zone 1, another in the South Zone. It brings our total to 80. We have 21 people in uh, ICU, a total of 82 people in hospital across the province. Now, 1,800 people have recovered uh, from COVID-19 in Alberta. Now, some good news you heard there. You've been waiting for it, saying that... um, Some of the details of that relaunch strategy will be announced. Uh, Hopefully, they're saying later this week. Now, the original forecasting, the original modeling that they had done suggested that uh, some of the restrictions, a lot of the restrictions wouldn't be able to be lifted until June. Now they're looking at May. Um, And that is going to be good news. But what they've been telling us is that we have to continue doing what we've been doing. Um, So uh, earlier this month, uh, they, they released that data modeling. But I can tell you the probable and elevated models announced earlier have been revised down now fairly dramatically. And uh, Premier Kenny um, has revealed a new low model, which he says is closer to reality. It says um, it projects about 300 people, 300 people in hospital at the pandemic's peak. He says they're going to continue to watch a number of things. He said um, you know, they have to watch um, the number of infections. They need to watch the number of hospitalizations, the number of people in ICU. And uh, yes, the final decisions as as we get closer on exactly what and when things will start to be lifted very slowly. Again, I like what he said. He says he, he referred back to how uh, Premier Scott Moe uh, described what they're doing in Saskatchewan. He says it's more like a dimmer switch not like an on-off switch. And I think that is something that we all need to remember. And as we move forward, as things are lifted, that we need to remember to continue to do all the things that we've been doing, the social distancing, washing your hands, all of that.